0: Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington.
1: ...job right now because a plant went down to Mexico. You know, that isn't going to make you feel better. And so what we have to do is to make sure that folks are trained for the jobs that are coming in now because some of those jobs of the past are just not going to come back. And when somebody says, like the person you just mentioned, who I'm not going to advertise for, that he's going to bring all these jobs back. Well, how exactly are you going to do that? What are you going to do? There's there's no answer to it. He just says, well, I'm going going to negotiate a better deal. Well, how, how exactly are you going to negotiate that? What magic wand do you have? And usually the answer is he doesn't have an answer.
2: Oh, what magic wand do you have? Sounds pretty fun now. As this is a, a speech that didn't age well from President Obama, who at the time was talking about then-candidate Donald Trump and his promise to bring uh, manufacturing jobs back to the United States. Now, of course, at the time, President Obama, who had not sat down and consulted with anyone outside of his echo chamber on what could be done to renegotiate with business owners with um, different industries to see if they'd be willing to even consider bringing the jobs back. He didn't find out directly from the mouth of anybody who had any power whether or not this was possible. He just said it wasn't possible because he couldn't see how it was possible. The big lesson here, and we'll get into it a little bit more, is that if your mindset is limited, like the one we just heard there, if you literally believe that things can't happen just because they haven't happened so far, or you can't think of a way to make it happen, then you're right, self-fulfilling prophecy, it cannot happen. But we live in a world where anything is possible, and he definitely missed the boat because imagine the legacy President Obama would have had if he'd had a better attitude about what was possible and was willing to sit down with people who weren't ideologically like himself to consider ideas and proposals that could have brought jobs back to this country. Imagine the legacy of a president who did that. The only difference is the legacy we're going to be talking about is the legacy of a President Trump, who actually did that, who actually dreamed about that, who actually said, that's possible, I can make it happen, and has done so. Welcome to the program. I'm Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's a pleasure to be with you. And guess what? We have a jam-packed show for you today. Two guests. We're going to speak with Adam Michelle. He's uh, from the Heritage Foundation. And then we're also going to talk to Jim Antle from the Washington Examiner in Hour 2. Now, what we have going on today on the show is, hey, I'm back. You might have noticed last week that we had guest hosts. Thank you so much to Abraham Hamilton III and, and everyone who filled in for last week but also huge, huge, just glad to be back here and also glad to share. Um, I've been listening to AFR and and heard a couple of promos, one from uh, the head of AFR, Mr. Wildman, uh, announcing that this program will be carried, the first hour of it will be carried on American Family Radio starting next week on Monday. And so I'm so excited about that. It's such an honor and a privilege to have that uh, announcement to be able to share it with you, to have it be the reality that I'm facing right now. I'm so excited. It's like I'm... One of those kids who's outside the Lego shop just before it opens up, you know, the big ones, like the ones they have down in uh, Orlando, Florida, we've taken our kids to it before. So I've literally seen kids standing outside of it. Our kids bouncing up and down with anticipation before Lego stores were all over the country. Like we have one here in West County now, but I feel like that. I feel like I'm about to get let into the big Lego shop and my parents are like, just buy whatever you want. And I'm going in and I'm going to get everything that I want. This is so exciting. Um, so We're going to speak to those two guests today. We're going to delve into, uh, we're going to just take a little stroll. We're going to skip lackadaisically through the historical record on what was said about a then-candidate Trump. He would say these really, really, I thought they were excellent things at the time. They sounded a bit phantasmagorical because they were so optimistic and so matter-of-fact. But I was willing to consider them because I'd seen Donald Trump do amazing things with businesses before. So his work in the private sector was a great uh, kind of platform for him to make these statements. But I found it comical at the time, and now it's even more comical, that Barack Obama would completely dismiss the possibility of him doing any of these things. And he did, I, as I was listening to audio to, to, to get to that bit that we just heard, I watched as and and it's so much more obvious now because time has passed by and it's now history as opposed to when it was happening. But President Obama used to have these little sit downs. I mean, he'd be standing behind the podium, but it was like a sit down with the media. He'd come to the briefing room and he'd talk to the media and he'd take their questions. And then he would kind of tell them, like, give them their marching orders. We need to ask tough questions of these Republican candidates. They need to be vetted. I don't think the American people are going to have a proper opportunity to make a good choice unless these candidates are vetted by you, the media. You need to ask the tough questions. You need to be relentless and not let up. Don't let them just say they'll do X, Y, and Z uh, without asking them how and getting some concrete answers as to how they'll accomplish these things. And as for the Democrats, well, we all know what the delicate map looks like. But. With the Democrats, we have, of course, Bernie Sanders, who has some very lofty ideas. And then we have Hillary Clinton. And that's going to be decided by the voters. I mean, it was like almost like the press corps were his employees and he was giving them a pep talk on how to approach two different avenues of of direction for their work for for the next, you know, uh, you know, here, here's some goal setting for the next six months or something. That's how he used to talk to the press. The difference between their demeanor towards him and Donald Trump is It's so far apart, saying night and day isn't enough, and night and day are obviously opposite. We're talking about, like, galaxies apart, the way that they talked to President Obama, the way they questioned him, and the way they talk to and treat Donald Trump. Now, it's true, Donald Trump has made no bones about the fact that he doesn't appreciate the way they write about him, the way they talk about him, the way they talk about his family. He's hitting back as hard as they hit him. But they seem like they're unable to, con- to, to comprehend that that's something normal that a person would do in politics, not to be cowed by the media. So I have another flashback for you because it wasn't good enough to just listen to Donald Trump um, talk about what he's done on Friday. And we're going to listen to that as well. It's not good enough to listen to President Obama kind of batting around this idea that um, Donald Trump has a magic wand. That's the only way he can bring jobs back to America is by using magic, which means it's a fiction, which means there is no way. Donald Trump said that he would bring jobs back to America. He's very confident about it. It's number two.
3: It's time to get help for the American people. We're going to get them into the labor market and they're going to do a great job and they're going to make good money. We're going to rebuild our country with American hands. Buy American workers. My administration will follow two simple rules. Buy American and hire American. Okay? We have so many companies right now, although I think probably, if I would have said a couple of months ago, we have so many companies negotiating to leave, I don't think they're negotiating so fast right now.
2: So this was at a rally that candidate Trump at the time was hosting. And this was a repeated theme throughout the rally season when he was in the campaign and he would have these rallies at different cities across the country and he'd pack the places out and have waiting ro- standing room only and then overflow venues that were filled to the brim. And then people lined up around who never got inside and had to listen from the outside or live stream it on their phones. And he said over and over and over again, I'm going to make better deals. We have horrible deals. I've been in horror of these deals for decades, and I'm going to make better deals. And there's a lot of power in, first off, you sit back, and this is private. You sit back and you assess the situation and you say, I don't like the way this is going. And then you say, I want to change it. How am I going to do that? And then you work your way back, you work your way forwards, you work up, you work down, you consider it from all angles, you take wise counsel, you discuss it, you research it, and then you sit down again and you look at your assessment and you look at the solutions and then you say, this is something that I can actually change. And I know how I'll do it, but the first thing I'm going to do is get some buy-in from the people that I need to be behind me, which is the people who are most impacted by jobs getting shipped overseas, and that's American workers, and that's what he did. And so there was a method to the madness of Donald Trump going around city to city, state to state, telling the American people that he had figured out how to get jobs back into this country and that he was going to do it because telling them that gave them a reason to want to vote for him. That's number one. And number two, telling them that gave them something on which they would hang his presidency. This is something that he had to answer to. This is a a, a tactic used by business leaders all over the world. They find something that is needed. They promise to deliver it. They've already figured out how they're going to do it. It's not like Barack Obama said in the first clip that he's just going to use a magic wand. He hasn't sat down and thought about it. He needs to be questioned on how it's going to be done. Ask all the questions you want. Now we're two years later from these audio clips, and now we know how he did it. He, first day in office, started slashing regulations and rolling back Obama-era mandates that were pen and phone mandates that were crippling businesses across this country. That got the engine of expectation and people actually wanting to do more, expand their businesses, hire more employees. They saw a way around only having employees who do work for the federal government in the form of pushing paper. Then he started working on the tax reform. He had some bumps. Obamacare didn't get repealed. That, that is another way that the president planned on unleashing the economic engine of this country, but he wasn't able to get it done. He moved on to tax reform and got that done. So you've got the reduction of regulation, the implementation of tax reform, and then in between all of that, it was the individual sit-downs and meetings that he did, starting when he was elected But before the inauguration, these business leaders are coming to Trump Tower. They're sitting down with the president. They're discussing how they can bring businesses back. And he's asking them in these closed-door meetings, can you not imagine what they were? How do I get you to bring these jobs that you've moved to Mexico or to this place or that place? How do I get you to bring those back here? He writes down what they say. He crosses out the stuff that are absolutely undoable by the federal government. And the stuff that's doable, he tells All the tasks are devied out to the people who can make them happen. Tell me how we do this, and then move on to the next meeting. And before you know it, he's inaugurated. And before you know it, there are announcements before the tax reform that there were going to be companies coming back. And remember what was said. Nancy Pelosi said, "What's 1,100 jobs?" Barack Obama said, "Sure." Carrier was already planning on bringing jobs back to this country. They were already planning on opening a plant. Everyone was naysaying, and the president just kept on working. There's a lot of lessons here for those of us who. Obviously, we're not the president of the United States, but we have stuff we want to get done. There are lessons that we can learn from watching what he did and unpacking it as we're doing now because there's there's one way to think about things, which is you need a magic wand to get that done because it can't be done. That's Barack Obama. Or you can think, yeah, I can sit around and talk about magic wands or I can actually work on a process that'll be arduous and I'll have the potential of huge failures and embarrassment. And I might actually not get everything done that I want to get. And there'll be people who won't want to sit down with me. There'll be people who won't take a meeting with me. There'll be people who will tell me things that they, they're basically setting me up to fail. But in all of this, the working gets you towards the goal. Sitting around talking about magic wands gets you nothing. But embarrassment is he's got to be feeling embarrassed right now. He's actually trying to take credit for setting up an economy that was ripe for, for Donald Trump to, create a 4.1% GDP. But don't take it from me. Here's President Trump talking about the promises delivered. We've accomplished a historic economic turnaround. It's number three.
3: Moments ago, the numbers for America's economic growth or GDP were just released. And I am thrilled to announce that in the second quarter of this year, the United States economy grew at the amazing rate of 4.1%. We're on track to hit the highest annual average growth rate in over 13 years. And I will say this right now, and I'll say it strongly, as the trade deals come in one by one, we're going to go a lot higher than these numbers, and these are great numbers. During each of the two previous administrations, we averaged just over 1.8% GDP growth. By contrast, we are now on track to hit an average GDP annual growth of over 3%, and it could be substantially over 3%. Each point, by the way, means approximately $3 trillion and and 10 million jobs. Think of that. Each point, you go up one point. It doesn't sound like much. It's a lot. It's $3 trillion, and it's 10 million jobs. If economic growth continues at this pace, the United States economy will double in size more than 10 years faster than it would have under either President Bush or President Obama.
2: You could call that a magic wand, or you could call it a guy doing what he thought could be done because he wanted to do it. We'll be back with more right after these messages here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Keep it here.
4: When I first found out I was pregnant, I was surrounded by fear and disbelief. My boyfriend told me at the time to to get an abortion. There was no negotiating.
1: This is the story of a young lady who decided to keep her baby after hearing her baby's beautiful heartbeat on ultrasound. The Ministry of Preborn provides ultrasounds for pregnancy centers across America for free. When an abortion-minded woman hears her baby's heartbeat on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby.
4: My son, Rent, turned five months this week, and and even though there there are still uncertainties in my life, the one thing I know is I get to watch him grow.
1: Your gift of $140 will cover the cost of five ultrasounds. All donations are tax-deductible. To donate, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby.
0: Hello, this is Bishop Harry Jackson of Hope Christian Church in Beltville, Maryland. Jesus said you would do greater works than he did. One of the signs in past seasons of revival has been in the great awakenings of the nation, our spiritual history is punctuated by moments when people come to an awareness that their righteousness is as filthy rags before God. And in the early stages of most of the great awakenings and revivals of our generation has been a period of when people recognize their wretchedness without him. America, we got a long way to go because we do think we're all that. We have an entitlement spirit. I think as God is looking down at America, he sees that same kind of twistedness in the American church. What we need is a move of God that brings us back to the humble, humble place of saying, what I've got, I don't deserve, but I received it because of the kindness and the largesse of a loving God. Now, see, I don't know about you, but I I, I should be dead, not just of adult cancer. I should have been dead through foolishness in my teenage years. I I don't know about you, but somehow God spared me. I'm somebody who owes God a debt of gratitude and service. Join us this Sunday morning at 6251 Amidale Road in Beltsville or on the web at thehopeconnection.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk.
2: Thanks for being here. Welcome back to the program. We had a fantastic family vacation last week, which is why I was out and not available to do the radio show, but um, God is so good. We had such an amazing time together. It was uh, kind of a kind of a little bit of a hallmark vacation for us, or, you know, it, it it's our daughter's about to leave for college in a couple of weeks, and so we were just trying to soak up every minute we could with her. She's probably so exhausted by our, uh, us constantly paying attention to her, but Um, She's going to be heading off to study biology and chemistry, and we are really excited about that, but it's one of those moments where, as a parent, you kind of look at your child and think, weren't you just 12? Weren't you just, like, a baby? And now they're, you know, driving and running around doing things on their own, and it's time to let go, but uh, we had a great time, and it was really, it was a much-needed kind of recharge for us, and now I'm back, I'm ready to rumble. And I'm so excited to welcome our next guest, next guest to the program. We have Adam Michelle, Heritage Foundation Policy Analyst, a Thomas A. Rowe Institute uh, for Economic Policy Studies fellow. We are so excited to speak with him today. Adam, thank you for joining the show.
5: Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, I'm, I, okay, tax cuts for every congressional district, every state. Come on, let's talk about it.
5: Yeah, so there's this there's this narrative out there that uh, the that the left has been pushing and and is bearing out in a lot of the poll results when you ask people about how how much they like the tax cuts that were passed this number and people don't think that they're actually actually getting a tax cut so we used some IRS data and uh, calculated the uh, this average tax cut uh, using actual uh, IRS data in every congressional district in every state. And despite what what you'll hear on MSNBC and CNN, the, every single congressional district gets a tax cut, and it's pretty significant. The average tax cut in Missouri, for for instance, is about a thousand dollars in twenty eighteen. That's a almost thirteen percent reduction in the income taxes you send to Washington. And we also looked at what that looks like over the next ten years, when you inc- when you include a uh, slightly bigger economy, uh, that that's. Uh, just over $17,000 of additional take-home pay over the next uh, 10 years. So it's certainly not crumbs, as some have characterized it.
2: Well, and so as a Missourian, I'd like to share a few things you can do with $17,000 over 10 years. Well, first of all, if you invest that in the market, you'll see significant returns because that's what the investment, that's what it's about. But if you were to take that money in Missouri, seventeen grand over 10 years and put it into a a college fund for your child, that's more than one year at one of our state universities here. Um, That, that, I mean, that is significant. And that assumes that you stay at the same income, right? So you, you, I, I, it's not crumbs. It's a huge amount of money, especially in a state in the center of the country. We're in the, the heartland. So our cost of living is much lower. And if you just take that, from a year to year basis, that's a beachfront condo, like two bedrooms in Destin. Um, if you book a year out, I mean, you <laughs> this this is not this is not crumbs. Uh, there's a ton of things I can think of that you can spend that money on. Um, that uh, you, if you cut your cable and add that to your tax uh, cut that you're getting, now you're at the beach for a week and you're in like a two bedroom, two bath condo right on the water. I mean, just if you need c- consultation, email me. I'll give you like ten things. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, and I think the incredible part is this: the study we did is, is actually under current law. So it, it assumes, as, uh, as will happen unless Congress acts, that a large portion of the tax cuts actually expire in, uh, right after 2025. So if Congress gets their act together and, and extends these tax cuts, makes them permanent, uh, the, the savings over the next 10 years could, uh, could very well be even greater.
2: Well, and in your piece at heritage dot org, you actually talk about how the average savings of fourteen hundred is for that single. but if you are married couples with two kids, you save two thousand nine hundred and seventeen. If you were to save two thousand of that and ten years from now, you had all of that money plus the interest that's one kid's college education at a state university i mean i this money stacks up. This is an amazing opportunity for Americans to realize some dreams that they might have had. Maybe going back and getting your own master's degree or getting a bachelor's degree if you don't have one. There's so much that you can do with this money and much better spent, I might add, because it's going into the economy as opposed to going to the government where it kind of just dissipates into thin air.
5: Yeah, I think that's the the biggest takeaway from this is how how much more efficient people are in spending their money than sending it to Washington and having it sort of slush around, around the swamp here and then get spat back out in bits and pieces. That, that when when the government is taking less of our money, you can spend it on the things that that benefit you and your family, like that that education or or buying a new car or replacing your refrigerator when it breaks down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I, I just pulled it up here. The um, the if you're married with two kids in uh, Missouri, you can expect about $1,700 uh, in 2018, or just shy of uh, $30,000 over the next 10 years. So that's, uh, for, for families, the benefit is, is, is even more, uh, more apparent.
2: Well... And that $30,000, if you take it every single year and make one extra mortgage payment, you shave seven years off your mortgage. I mean, <laughs> I, we could go on and on. I'm serious. We Just think about the, whatever the number is, if it's over $1,000, let's say you think you might need a new air conditioner. Your air conditioner is looking old, but it still works. And you plan out to do that in three years. Three grand is a new air condensing unit. It's It's, I mean... We, we don't have anything in the, the Midwest that is really out of reach economically when it comes to home ownership and things like that. It's very affordable, but we still have to live paycheck to paycheck, month to month, year to year like everybody else. And so any savings on your taxes is significant when you look at it over time. But in a low cost of living area like Missouri, it can be significant that first year when you notice like back in February or March when everyone got their paychecks after the tax cut and they saw what the tax cut was for them. You can start planning immediately for what to do with that money, saving it, investing it, using it to set aside for something that you need or just putting it back into your budget because you've been tight before and now you're not as tight
5: yeah that's that's exactly the the narrative that, that we've been seeing and, and one that I think a lot of Americans are are slowly forgetting since they saw that bump in their paycheck in, in February of this year that, that a lot of folks have just sort of built that in and now it's their money and they've forgotten that it, that Republicans in the, in the house and, and working with President Trump really made the uh, the, the difference in put pushing this over the finish line and, and giving that tax cut to everyone. So we've uh, the, the report that we keep talking about is actually hosted on taxesandjobs.com, where you can actually go to this website and find your specific congressional district in Missouri uh, or wherever else you happen to live and see what the, the tax cut is for, for your community and then share it with your friends. We're trying to get the, the word out that, that this is something that's worth preserving. The the, the, the folks that are running against uh, the tax the tax reform bill their their slogan is 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 literally repeal Trump's tax cut and then that i think we should keep that in mind as we're, we're sort of looking for what type of policy we want to see going forward
2: and so adam i want to point out a few more salient points from your piece and I, it, this is r- super important for us as we listen to nancy pelosi and uh, maxine waters they call the tax cuts a scam but I, I don't know anybody who would see keeping 44 grand of their own money as a scam like that's a luxury car that's that's a fully tricked out Honda Odyssey if you if you were to save that money up and say you know my current car is working and I'm gonna run it into the ground I'm gonna drive it until it has 300,000 miles on it then you can buy for cash a minivan at the end of that term with just your tax savings, not including any money that you get from raises, bonuses, or any other income that might come to you over that time frame. But we're talking about an additional to what we've done this, this whole discussion, which is nothing but gravy. If you're listening and you're thinking, well, this is a tax cut discussion. We have Adam Michelle from the heritage foundation. He's a policy analyst there. And we're talking about the truth behind the tax cuts and what Americans are experiencing This tax cut doubled the child tax credit to $2,000 per child, and it also gave a non-child-dependent credit of $500, and it increased the alternative minimum tax exemption from $86,200 to $109,400, which is significant. That can represent a significant tax savings for families that are in that income bracket. And it's a new 20% deduction for certain non-salary pass-through business income For people like myself, I'm a small business, single, you know, sole proprietor type person. I really appreciate that little. It's it's not what I was hoping for. It's less than I was hoping for, but it's it's a start uh, for people like me. So there's a lot to be had here. There's a lot of good news.
5: There is. There's, that's what we're finding is it's sort of good news all around. I think one of the other uh, things that you might hear in the in the media is that this is just a tax cut for the rich, and the sort of middle middle class, low income folks have been left behind. And that's that's certainly not what what we found in our in our report. Uh, 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 some of the the, the districts that had the highest tax burden do get larger dollar-value tax cuts. But a lot of the the, the districts that don't pay a lot of taxes already actually saw some of the largest reductions in their tax burden as a a percent of the tax that they pay to Washington. So what this looks like is some of the poorer districts in the country, there's some districts in the the South Bronx and in L.A., that that their their taxes were actually cut by over 30 percent of, uh, of of what they were paying, and that's 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 a huge. You were just talking about cost of living and how much, how far a dollar goes for for families being different across the board. If if I'm sending uh, a third less of my of my taxes to Washington, that's that's a significant uh, increase in my well being.
2: It is, and so when we hear people like Nancy Pelosi and Maxine Waters, who they both live in. Well, Maxine Waters' district is actually not, it's, it's not like an, a prime optimal place where you would want to live, but she doesn't live in her district. She actually lives in a wealthy community where she has a really nice mansion and, and fantastic living accoutrement uh, outside of her district, even though she represents people who could really use her to, you know, pr- present some legislation that would give them more economic freedom. And so when we hear them talking about crumbs, a pittance, it's not worth it, it's a scam, what are they really saying?
5: I think that they're what they're really saying is they don't they don't fully understand what it's like to live the life of a sort of typical American. That they're they're sort of stuck in this world where an additional thousand dollars is just taking you and a couple friends out to dinner one night. That they're, they're just The way that they think about the world is, is very different than, than most Americans, and they're, and they're just they're out of touch. They don't have an ability to, to understand what, how much money the government is actually taking for, from folks and how much that distorts our ability to, to the buy the things that we want, to put our kids in, through the type of education that, that, they, that they deserve, and, and a little bit can go a long way.
2: It can go a long way. And what I I like to say is something. So my mom grew up in a farming family. They had land and she grew up doing all kinds of, you know, basically she's going to school during the day, but in the afternoon she's taking care of the farm animals and doing all that stuff. And her mom, my grandmother was an amazing saver and so they were never wealthy but they had an amazing savings because she said money stacks up so if if you walk by a penny and you didn't pick it up my grandma's saying was money stacks up you so you pick a penny up and it's nothing by itself But you stack 99 pennies together, you almost have a dollar. You stack $99 together, you almost have $100, and so on and so forth. And that's how you save huge amounts of money, a little at a time, consistently. You save where you can. And so for Americans who are just kind of just basically paycheck to paycheck, they need any boost they can get to move from paycheck to paycheck to having something extra that they can save or invest or do something with. And the tax reform package puts millions of Americans in that position
5: that 's exactly right and and the opposite is also true that when we when when people talk about oh we 're just going to raise the gas tax a couple of cents or or we're just going to raise raise the, the our income taxes by one percentage point or it's just all it's always incremental on those little Little chippings away of the of more of your money being uh, sent to the government is less money in your pocket, and so that's the that's the big message that, that we're trying to push right now. Is this this tax cut was great? Unfortunately, it's not all permanent. We need to, Congress to come back, make it permanent, uh, make sure that. that Folks have this money in their pocket for the long haul so that it can continue to stack up year over year over year, which is, uh, as, as we were just talking about, a uh, pretty significant benefit when you when you, when you you look at it over that uh, longer period of time.
2: Well, I want to say thanks for doing the hard work here. Can you give us the website one more time so people can uh, know, you know, what... what where to go to find this cuz it'd be great if people if you're listening you could share this on your social media and kind of push back against this narrative that the democrats are spinning that this is something bad.
5: Yes, yeah, so if you go to taxesandjobs.com, that's taxesandjobs all one word, com you can click on, uh, on on a state, you can see the state uh, numbers, you can click on it, find your congressional district, scroll down, click on your congressional district, and then yeah, share it on on Facebook, Twitter, uh, pass it around to your friends, uh, let them figure out how much their community is saving, and uh, hopefully we can, you can help us get the word out.
2: Mm. I love it. Thank you so much. Adam Michelle, Heritage Foundation Policy Analyst and Thomas A. Rowe Institute Fellow for Economic Policy Studies, thanks for being with us today.
5: Thanks for having me on.
2: All right, great to talk to you. So, um, if you guys go to my Instagram, you'll see that one of the restaurants we always eat at on our way out. We always stop at this place when we're getting ready to drive back to St. Louis Metro. Uh, we stop at this place and we have lunch. And so I posted a picture of the crab cakes on there. And I, I'm I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I kind of wish I still had those crab cakes. Like I wish they were here, like a second part of them or part two. Yeah, check my Instagram for a picture of those. They're super delicious a restaurant that we really love I also want to give a shout out to anyone who was here locally in St. Louis for the candidate forum that we had um of just over to almost two weeks ago um where we were doing an auditor's forum where they I I wrote the questions and they answered the questions and it was an amazing slate of candidates one slant one candidate who couldn't make it and um it was an opportunity to get to learn more about the auditor and what they do in the state of Missouri it's a statewide position and uh you know, just getting ready for the primaries here in Missouri. If you have primaries in your state, find out more about your candidates and get ready to vote. Um, whatever your political affiliation, it's important that you exercise your rights and render under Caesar that which is Caesar's. So find me online at Stacy and at Stacy on the right on Twitter and Instagram. And we have more for you when we get back, we're going to be talking about, uh, the ukraine and russia and crimea and the annexation and we'll take your calls as well 866-963-2037 that's 866-963-2037
4: Physical activity is the new trend. It's not a bad thing unless it has brought a sense of vanity in your life. Two years ago, I was not happy with the number on the scale, nor how I looked. I've never been a huge person, but I was, as the old folks would say, healthy. I joined a gym, gained a personal trainer, even changed some of my eating habits. The Lord checked me one day and in my spirit said, why are you disgusted with yourself? Be healthy. Take care of the temple. I've loaned you, but do it because you want to honor this body, which is your responsibility while on this earth. I said, you better let me know, Abba. Psalms 139 verse 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 15 pounds down i know that even if i was to never look like serena williams with those nice framed worked out arms i am wonderfully made in his image and so are you with the heart for the urban family i'm today's urban woman victory mcintosh connect with us more at urbanfamilytalk.com
6: hi this is steve Tiber with eight days of hope hurricane harvey was the second worst disaster ever seen on american soil Eight Days of Hope responded to that need in Houston, Texas, back in March, where 4,700 volunteers came from all over the world in all 50 states to love and serve people in need. When we left, we realized that there was still much more to do. So many people still were hurting, hundreds of thousands of families looking for somebody, anybody to help them. Here's your chance. Eight Days of Hope 16 will be back in southeast Houston October 13th, through October 20th. It's free. We provide the food and lodging. We're looking for skilled professionals, people who are semi-skilled, and people with no skills or less skilled and want to give back. For more information, you go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. We're expecting about 2,500 volunteers from all over America to go back to Houston to love and serve those in need. Hope to see you in
1: Houston, 8daysofhope.com. For more information, 8daysofhope.com. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. Carol Hafner has never been to Alaska. She lists New Jersey and South Dakota as her residences. And Hafner doesn't plan to go to Alaska. Yet on August 21st, Hafner will seek the Democratic nomination to earn the right to face the longest serving member of the House, Alaska Republican Congressman Don Young. The Constitution doesn't say anything about where someone must live to run for Congress. The Constitution only mentions an age and citizenship requirement. The Alaska Division of Elections says Hafner properly filed to run, so election officials say there's no... No reason to question Hafner's candidacy for the House of Representatives. Hafner's run for other seats from afar before. She sought the 2016 GOP nomination for a House seat in Hawaii. This isn't new. A New York man ran against then Democratic Alaska Senator Mark Begich in the 2014 primary. Begich crushed the New Yorker, but then lost the general election to Republican Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan. An Arizona man also recently ran for the House in Wyoming, but lost to then GOP Wyoming Congresswoman Cynthia Lummis. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News.
0: This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk.
3: Look at Ukraine. He talks about Ukraine. Well, you know how tough he is, right? How tough he is with Russia. In the meantime, they took over Crimea. And I understood that. And most papers covered what I said accurately. Some didn't because the press is so dishonest. But Crimea, I mean, the, the Russians took it over under Obama's very powerful leadership. And, you know, he talks about me with Russia. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing, frankly, if we actually got along with Russia and worked out some kind of a deal where we go in and knock the out of ISIS along with NATO and along with countries that are in the area? Wouldn't that be wonderful as opposed to fighting? But Crimea was taken over. And and you know this better than anybody because you were covering it a couple of years ago. It was taken over during Obama's regime. Big, tough president.
2: Uh, welcome back to Stacey on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Visit Urban Family Talk to sign up and register for the conference, which is very close. We are getting very close to uh, the actual go time, August 17th and 18th, where we'll be speaking about issues of marriage and family and just living, living a, a godly life that uh, pleases God and is joyful for yourself And we're so excited about getting a chance to do that. We have an amazing lineup of speakers who are going to be there, and we are looking forward to meeting you. So definitely sign up for the uh, the conference at urbanfamilytalk.com. So what you're listening to there is this is again candidate Trump talking about President Obama criticizing him, and you know on the topics of the Ukraine and Russia and Crimea and. You know, when I was listening to this audio this morning, I, I forgot, or maybe I hadn't really put it all together. Who was talking about Russia first? Well, it was President Obama. Who brought that up as a topic that needed to be hammered over and over and over again? President Obama. Who had a chance to do something about Crimea and, and the annexation of uh, the, the seaport there? President Obama. Who said he needed more flexibility after he won his election? President Obama. Who had such a fantastic relationship that there was fist bumping going on and, you know, cool bro looks and stuff like that? President Obama and President Putin. The ambassador from Russia, uh, Kislyak, had a fantastic relationship with President Obama. The visitor logs show he was there often. He spent a lot of time at the White House when he was in town, which was a lot because he was the ambassador. He also spent a lot of time with the Democrats. He attended multiple State of the Union addresses by President Obama. And when he attended, he sat with the Democrats. Kislyak, someone who is now, oh, he's, you know, out of favor and he's back in Russia. He's had all his fun and he did what he was here to do. He was here to cultivate a relationship with President Obama and the Obama administration and Democrats. And he did so. The fact that Obama called Russia an enemy and finally jumped on the bandwagon that Mitt Romney accurately described during the presidential campaign when Mitt Romney was running against Obama, that's here nor there that's behind him. He doesn't want to talk about that anymore. So I want to talk to you about this fact check that I found. Um, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul mentioned uh, on a Sunday show that the United States has like Russia tried to influence many foreign elections. Now, this is all connected. What we had is an outgoing President Obama calling the Russian, Russian meddling in our election, this unprecedented, unbelievable action. Now, i ain't going to lie. I'm just like every other American. I'm perfectly fine when we're meddling in the elections of these tiny little tin pot dictatorships. If that's what the State Department and the presidential administration wants to do. I mean, what do I have to say about it? They obviously have all the research and the classified information in the background, and it's something that we've been doing since the inception of this country. So, you know, do what you're going to do. But when I hear that a separate government has been meddling in our elections, that is disturbing to me, maybe because I think America is exceptional and that we're fantastic and that when we're meddling, it's probably for the good. And when Russia's meddling, it's probably for the bad. I don't think that's wrong. But the fact is, that's the way I feel about it. So now you have this fact check. And the reason I want to talk about it today is because a a lot of the news media that I've been looking at over the past six months or so, they don't mention this. They talk about Russia meddling in our elections. They act like it was something that was so consequential. It was just this huge big deal. But they don't talk about what we've done. Now, is this me saying because we did it, they should do it? No. Is this me trying to give a pass to Russians? No. When my Twitter handle was Black Russian, it was a reference to the drink, but it was also kind of a finger in the eye to people who are basically acting as if Donald Trump is some kind of Russian agent. Come on. We know that's not true. So the United States actually attempted to influence over 80 foreign elections from 1946 to 2000. And sometimes we did this in secret. Sometimes the United States of America meddled in the elections of foreign governments secretly. This is a fact check, true at CheckYourFact.com. Rand Paul mentioned our history of attempting to influence other elections in advance of President Trump's meeting with Russian Prime Minister Vladimir Putin. Special Counsel Robert Mueller's office recently obtained indictments against 12 Russians accused of stealing emails. We've discussed this before, but to briefly recap that, that was an exercise in futility because Russian agents are not going to submit to extradition to the United States for prosecution for doing the work that they were tasked with by their own government. Just like we wouldn't send our agents, CIA agents, undercover agents, covert operators, we wouldn't send them to be tried in foreign courts for doing stuff we told them to do. So the indictments are just for show. So Rand Paul went on to say on CNN State of the Union, I think we really mistake our response when we think it's about accountability from the Russians. They are another country. They're going to spy on us. They do spy on us. They're going to interfere in our elections. We also do the same. Locke K. Johnson, who is a professor at the University of Georgia, who began his career investigating the CIA as a Senate committee staffer in the 70s, told the New York Times that the U.S. has certainly tried to influence foreign elections. We've been doing this kind of thing since the CIA was created in 1947. We've used posters, pamphlets, mailers, banners, you name it. We've planted false information in foreign newspapers. We've used what the British call King George's cavalry, which is suitcases of cash. Paul cited research from Dov H. Levin, a postdoctoral fellow at the Institute for Politics and Strategy at Carnegie Mellon University. Levin identified 81 instances in which the U.S. interfered in foreign elections from 1946 to 2000. He could confirm that Russia interfered in 36 elections over the same time period. Russia, 36 interferences. The United States, 81 instances. One well-known example is the case of Italy in 1948. America worried that the Italian Communist Party, the PCI, would come to power in Italy and, was very, and once they did so would very likely lead to Italy becoming a communist dictatorship and eventually becoming an ally of the Soviet Union. The National Security Council, in a declassified report, recommended that the U.S. end economic aid to Italy, if it did not combat communist control. More recently, the US spent millions of dollars to influence the election of Yugoslavia in 2000 and unseat its socialist leader, Slobodan Milosevic. Remember when his name is in the news a lot? So there are other instances here in this report. But what I want to point out is the intended consequence of our meddling in Italy's election back in 1948 is that Italians are not communists. They're not starving. They're not slaves to their government. They have a vibrant economy and a beautiful country that remains, and they're not under the jackboot of Russia. That's what us meddling in elections does. When Russia meddles in elections, the consequences are not quite as positive. And we don't have a perfect unblemished track record in our meddling in elections like anything else our government does with the intention of helping foreigners or helping our position in the world or bringing about consequences that are beneficial to us as the United States or the spread of Republicanism. There's an opportunity for it to work. There's also an opportunity for it not to work, but it is absolutely it's unintelligent and it's lazy to assume that Russia is the only entity on the face of this earth that ever meddles in elections. Not only do we really do a disservice to the benefits of our meddling, but we make it seem as if we're this innocent victims clutching our pearls, and we just don't know what we're going to do about it. You know what? We're already doing something about it. You know what we're doing about it? stuff none of us can know because it's all classified and we won't find out about it until decades later when it's declassified. That's the whole nature of this thing, which is why it is media malpractice for people at CNN and you know all these talking heads all over the place, of which I sometimes I'm one. I'm a talking head on TV too sometimes. But this is ridiculous, the way that they're characterizing this as this like extreme capital case, not because of the Russian meddling because remember, it was cool when President Obama was friends with Putin and and uh, Kislyak. It was cool when Obama did it. The reason it's not so cool now, it's not cool now, is because it's Trump. They don't like Donald Trump. They don't want you, you know. They don't want him making friends with someone that they think helped him win the election. They're also engaging in a kind of willful ignorance as long as they can blame Putin and the KGB leftover guys uh, who are now, I think the, what, FSG, as long as they can blame those guys, they don't have to accept the fact that Americans, and it wasn't a huge margin, but it was still significant, Americans all over the country preferred to move back to a more traditional trajectory. Americans in the hotbed centers of liberalism voted overwhelmingly for more jackbooted limp-wristed thuggery from the federal government under the guise of the reincarnation of Bill Clinton cuz he would have been the first man Hillary Clinton and her neo I mean it's just like ridiculous she's she's a warmonger bringing her back into the white house that's what people in the the urban centers wanted And so she won the popular vote by 3 million votes. But there's a reason why we don't have a popular vote system. Because no other state would matter except Texas and California and Florida. Oh, and New York. Those are the only states that would matter. All the other states would just be voting. You'd be voting, but for what? Because your vote wouldn't matter if it was a popular vote issue. And we're only going to see that actually go in the same direction. Kind of a little bit of a tangent. But I was reading an article... About how they're saying by 2040, 49% of the population of the United States will be in three states. <laughs> Can you believe that? That people would want to live stacked up on top of each other like that? And, and it's true. It is nice to live near an urban population center. You have a lot more amenities. You have a lot more things to do. And things are just nicer because there's more tax dollars to kind of spread around and keep things up. But smaller communities are going to have to continue on that track that they've already started. Some of them, they're going to have to spread that around where they entice these younger Americans out of these urban population centers and into the more rural areas to build those up. Because I think we need more urban population centers. We need more cities, moderately sized cities across the country. We need to build those up as opposed to just stacking more and more people on top of each other in New York City and Orlando and you know dallas and and Atlanta, cities that are getting so big that they're almost unsustainable because of the traffic and pollution, we could do a much better job of having people go into other areas, cities that are right now very, very small, almost barely cities, and you have people move out there, you have businesses move their hubs out there, and then you grow those into normal sized cities that's just me doing kind of like a Sims version of of urban planning and all of that but i think it would be better for americans on the whole the same kinds of problems we see when schools get too big when high schools have 2 and 3000 students no one knows each other it's not a community we need smaller high schools smaller grade schools we need smaller cities and the way to do that is to make concerted effort to make these other areas more attractive. Now, I did see something uh, on Drudge about population um, and the possibility of us having a, a move away from this whole nobody wants any kids thing because with economic prosperity, people usually are more open to having larger families and millennials are opting to with better jobs and better job prospects to move into suburbs again where they were living in the cities, which is interesting because the city is much more expensive to live in. But they want to move out and kind of have that, you know, single family home, little bit of yard, place for kids to kind of run around and have a neighborhood. And they want to have children. And so they're not sure exactly if the shift is is happening or not, but they can see where continued economic prosperity might spur that on. I think it's fantastic. I hope that's what happens. But in all of this, you know, to kind of circle back around to the Black Sea port in the Ukraine, we've got an opportunity here. Um, if, if you're not a, a supporter of president Trump, that's okay. It's, it's fine not to be a, a supporter of Donald Trump, but it's not okay to lie about the results that are coming from the business proposals, the economic changes, the tax reform, the regulation reduction, the things the president is doing that are good. um, It's like a mental illness where people can't admit that someone has done something good. I was able to admit that President Obama did good things when he did them, when he was president. And it didn't hurt me. It was just the truth. We should be able to do the same on the other side of the aisle for Donald Trump. He's killing it with the economy, 4.1% GDP. You got to love it. Stick around for hour two of Stacey on the Right. We'll be right back.